as we were recording the audio, I'd take photos, I'd bring a camera crew in, we would do all this crazy stuff. Like you'd take a weird photo and say, caption this. And then you'd post that on, on Facebook and you'd get like six and a half thousand comments. You're listening to Voices of Value, a selection of valuable insights designed to help you get more out of your professional and personal life through simple and easy-to-adopt life lessons. If you're keen to enjoy a better quality of life at work and at home, sit back and join the conversation with your hosts, Peter Kakos and Rick Rushton. Welcome to another episode of Voices of Value. Peter Kakos here with my great mate, Ricky Rushton. Welcome, Rick. What a big week it's been, Pete, and we're blessed again to have another Voice of Value to bring to our absolute loyal subscribers. And this particular person we bring to the microphone can give us a lot of help with our social media, our influencing ability, the ability to stay very digital, even if we're analog like you and I are, to stay very, very much on top of it. But our guest is somebody who had a massive profile in the mainstream media. For those of you who were avid fans of that iconic Channel 9 program, Getaway, I'm sure you'll know the name Jules Lund very, very comfortably. Today FM, so radio, TV, could have very comfortably continued along that plane and earned a very good income, but realised working for good, great companies wasn't as exciting as building a great company. So he's actually left that safety net, if you will, of that regular media check, Pete, to go into the wild, wonderful world of setting up Tribe, an amazing organisation that started with a handful of people and now has 70-plus employees across. We're in the headquarters HQ of Tribe Melbourne. We could be doing this from the headquarters of Tribe in Sydney. We could be doing it from London. That would be nice, the ashes. Could be doing it from New York. We could go see a Broadway show. Manila, not too sure, but uh, <laughs> Tribe is a global conglomerate and it really does fuel the passion of this man. Jules Lund, welcome to the microphone. Thank you so much for the gift of your time, knowing that you don't do this much at all in this day and age. Thank you for joining us on Voices of Value. That was an incredible introduction from you both. And the I time mean, we have left. Yeah, yeah. That's right. <laughs> I loved it. I, I can't top that. That was incredible. No notes. You just spat it out of your brain, uh, which I haven't seen. I've done a few interviews in my time. That was a good start. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> it's start. Uh, it goes downhill from here, but yep, I can uh, we started with a high, and that's what it's all about. But Pete and I have been really just fortunate. We've been just talking a little bit off air uh, about the caliber of people we've had, but you were one that was on the radar from a long way out, not because of your media profile and not just because of Tribe, but because Pete's passion as is one of mine too, is in the field of contribution and your work uh, with Jim Steins and Reach and that's how we first met. Mm. We were at a Reach program and, um, you know, and we've sat on a panel at uh, a media thing as well. But uh, just to work with Reach is interesting. So I know, uh, you know, a lot of guests we have on are for my passion. This is one that for this man mm. to my right-hand side's mm. passion. So, uh, Pete? Yeah, I'd love to, love to kick off with that. And Tribe's obviously a big story now, Jules, and and what you're doing is is incredible. And I'll, I was just mentioning about how there was an article uh, online about you know how Tribe ambushed a two million dollar industry. <laughs> billion, just, I think uh, they said yeah. they dropped billion. <laughs> and uh, and now you're a, a two billion dollar man. I think that's uh, something that's going to come out. You know, oh, that was soon. in a, some magazine tabloid garbage. I mean, the irony of saying that <laughs> I've I've got any a significant piece of a of a $2 billion industry. The irony is not only do I not have any of that, but it's an $8 billion industry anyway. So. Yeah. How do the kids go knowing that you're, their dads are? Oh, <laughs> mate, they, they all think uh, we've got too much money because of some <laughs> crappy tabloid magazine garbage. But uh, therein lies uh, the joys of traditional media, things that we've just accepted over the years. Yep. Yeah. Well, I love it. And we're going to get to that and, and talk a little bit about getaway and maybe favourite destinations and things. Mm. But I think, first of all, and it's a, when I first met you as well, Jules, you hit the stage of a Reese found, Reach Foundation event which was which just blew my mind and, and what you were doing for teenagers and so forth. And along the along my journey, I've met a lot of those teenagers and, and, and have had their lives changed and mm-hmm. so forth, even to the extent of, you know, saying that, that Reach saved their life, um, which is a pretty big statement. Mm-hmm. And no doubt you would have heard many, many more stories. Tell us about how you, you know, got introduced to Reach and, yeah. and what that really means to you these days. Well, Reach is a foundation that's been around for 25 years. They had the, a reunion on Friday night. And, um, yeah, it started by Jim Steins, who was an AFL footballer, and um, Paul Curry, who was a film director, and both had worked with teenagers 
Um, they were only young themselves, 25 and 27, I think. And uh, Jim had worked with you know young people through sports camps. Paul had worked with young people through drama, and both of them just you know didn't do the traditional. Um, uh, type of self-development and you know 25 years ago it you know things like mental health or even talking about how to make the most out of your life this just wasn't even a language for it especially not at school even talking about feelings openly was unique you had scouts or you had uh, Sunday school at church um, but there wasn't really a youth organisation per se. And so they tried to do something really innovative and, and authentic to who they were. And um, it just struck a chord. So they went out to schools to try to um, encourage a five-week program, you know, a couple of hours um, every week, get the kids around. And they and they were collecting people from all walks of life. So Jim was a celebrity at that stage. So, you know, he'd be talking at um, at secondary schools or even um, juvenile detention centres or he'd be working with um, uh, uh, programs that were helping kids that were living on the street and um, and then also he had done rounds as a teacher. So he'd done them at De La Salle College in Melbourne where I was there as a year nine student and he came in to run a workshop um, with Paul to promote the first course. Um, at that stage of my life, I was a pretty ratty kid and so I made it very difficult for him to run the workshop but <laughs> there was enough within it that really called out to me and, and made me, um, I suppose, take notice uh, of um, where I was um, focusing my attention and um, how destructive it was being to not only me but the people around me. And they just talked about um, uh, being a positive influence without sounding wanky. And um, and also Jim had a real go at me because I was trying to disrupt the session and I really respected that and he just spoke to me not as a kid. So I turned up to that course and, yeah, that was 25 years ago. And in that course was, you know, 30 kids and, yeah, as I say, some of them were living on the streets, other, others were addicted to heroin. There were kids from really expensive private schools that, with absentee fathers that are just working too hard. Um, there were kids from um, psychiatric units and this melting pot all came together. And, you know, we would talk about our feelings and it, you know, you didn't have to be very different to be very different. And, and it just in, a, in its essence, it was young people, safe space. You can't say this stuff at school, right? How are you feeling? How's everything going at home? And you'd share those things and everyone would really connect with you because it was an increased bond. And also you had people a bit older than us who were positive. So Jim had his you know, model girlfriend at the time, Jackie Tarabay, and um, Jim's sister would come out and there was all these just cool people that were a bit older and they're like, they're positive, they're like, good on you. And it was just a weird sort of thing. So those two things combined, the trust and, and safety of being able to express your real feelings and someone a bit older that was positive just created something that that has grown to, you know, work with over, you know, it would have to be over a million young people have been affected wow. just in this country. Mm. And so, yeah, through that course, I remember they chose someone um, to help organise a fund run that was raising money and um, and they, they, they voted for me to, to lead that. And I was never – I was the kid that was just ripping things apart and they imparted <laughs> this – um, responsibility on me and it was here to run around the Albert Park Lake and we're just overlooking it now and raise some money and you know get some awesome foursome guys down there and all these footballers and you know it was a sausage sizzle and I just couldn't believe that people were looking to me like I could actually do something and that that um, that trust that they imparted and, and invested in me changed my whole perception of myself mm. and then Jim just continued on that track and kept investing in me and um he's he's he built the person that i am today purely by helping me see the things that he saw in me that i just simply as a teenager couldn't see myself and so as i say all of those people it's a literally about hey you can do this no i can't you listen to all the voices in your head and then you just have someone who's nurturing but challenging you um, drive you to a place where you not only do you step out and take that risk, but if it's a positive experience, you just 
your whole perception and your whole sense of identity completely flips. You believe that you can be bigger than you're being at secondary school. And that's mm. the essence of mentoring, isn't it? Seeing much more in you than you can see for yourself, yeah. giving you a safe environment for you to explore that. And then when you get the result, that compels you now to want to give back as well. And that's yeah. sort of seemingly where you're at. We've been fortunate, Pete, to interview Wayne Schwoss, who's you know, an amazing operative in this space of mental well-being, or he calls it emotional well-being, not mental health. And he talks about three things are important. Number one, a safe environment where people can actually have these discussions. That's what Reach was clearly doing a quarter of a century ago. Number two, a pathway for people to break through wherever they're sort of at at the moment to a safe place. And number three, once they've got there, the empowerment to give back. Mm. And it sounds like Jim was all over that, as were all of the people involved in Reach at the yeah. time. And Reach, you know, Reach is um, continuing to grow, um, you know, without, you know, for those who don't know, Jim Steins, you know, is, is a, you know, a founder and um, and a mentor, you know, passed away. So I think it was about, it might have been six years ago, um, Jim passed away after his body just being absolutely riddled with um, tumours. So, you know, I think he had 26 by the time he passed away and, every, you know, like blood, skin, bone, organ, brain. Like I think he nailed the whole lot of where you can have cancer. And mm. um, and so, you know, like having a force of nature like that and striving an organisation. But we, we went to the reunion on Friday night and seeing the young people in the spirit, it's no different than mm. when it started mm. because, you know, in its sim- – as I said, in, in its simplicity – it doesn't need gym. No. It needs a safe space yep. and people a little bit older yep. who are positive. And you can transform lives. You can you can um, help surface greatness in anyone um, with just you know a, a couple of really basic fundamental um, support, which is you know like has been in generations around you know a village to raise a child. Yes, like yep. that sense of community. You have some elders. You have people. That, that sense of mentoring has, has sort of been disconnected and broken a little bit. Must have been incredible, man, Jim, the late, great Jim Steins. And, and I want to talk a little bit about the doco that you did. That must have been incredibly hard for you. You had, you had uh, one of the most endearing relationships and you could see that and, um, and, and most people would, would well and truly remember that. That must have been an incredible, incredibly hard thing to do. Well, ironically, it was really easy and it was fun. Um, it was awesome. So I, I've always been a content creator and so – um, you know, I would be taking him to, you know, a hospital appointment or a checkup or a scan or something in, in the, you know, and, um, and so I just had my little Canon camera, like a, you know, digital camera in my pocket. And so we would just be laughing and I'd just be filming stuff. And then after a while, I just sort of started to collect so much of it. And then Paul Curry, the co-founder who's a film director, he goes, we should be doing something and pull, pulling this together. And um, wow, I mean, Paul is a phenomenal. He's just how he told that story and that's it's all him. Like it's got I'm, – I'm a part of it and I'm driving the story of it but how he layered it and it really is just regardless of football, it's just a stunning story about someone – and, and what I loved about it was, you know, we got to watch it with him and yeah. his family and then yeah. he died. So yeah. it was like he got to go to his own funeral. He yeah. just had all his friends interviewed, celebrating him, and he got to sit there with all of those people. Um, it was phenomenal. Like it was incredible. And the, the process of celebrating through that was, you know, for me and Paul, he's, you know, two best friends. What a special thing. So yeah, it, it, yeah, it, ironically, true. it wasn't hard. I think it mm. made it easier. And even, you know, the support that I put into, you know, looking out for him and, and during that time, um, you know, and, and there were horrible moments, you know, just watching him in absolute agony, mm. like absolute agony. Um, I just felt so privileged to be in the box seat. Mm. I just, you know, because when someone's really sick, um, being far away from them and not knowing is horrendous. Being in the trenches and fighting with them is is easy, much easier, I reckon. Mm. Um, having said that, I did have to watch him drink his own piss mm. and yeah. all sorts of other ridiculous things. Mm. He 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 was such 
He was so determined. He to, was looking for everything to fight cancer. Yeah. He had read every piece of research. He literally tried everything, and one of those things was drinking his own urine. And then he went off to Jakarta, and there was some cigarette smoke therapy. And you never know; something could have worked. But tell you what, it it, it did take twenty six tumors, and and yeah. some of these tumors were the size of it. They were taking out of him. You know, you'd have ones that the size of a golf ball. Yeah, there was yeah. one in his um, back that was the size of a grapefruit. Wow. It was a true Jules that as he was virtually drifting off, he rallied one last time and his wife said to him, you've done enough now, you can, you can go. Like, he did, <laughs> like he'd heard that, you know, the way I hear it, and I don't know if yeah. it's right, you were there, but it, it was almost like he's heard that he's gone, so he's not, I'm going to go one more time. It's almost like he just w- wanted to try one last time before she said, look, this is enough. You've yeah, well, this. it got really, you know, there's – yeah, when it when you start to cut in around your brain, then it started to go the quality of life. Mm. So trying to figure out how you operate on those things, and there was a great lesson in there from him in in those days around, um, you know, just being addicted to being busy. And so one of his great sort of revelations um, or awakenings through it was just. You know this the sacrifice of how hard we work and and what that really truly costs and you know he was a very busy guy mm. um you know he used to talk to me about his his um diary you know if he didn't have something on a weeknight in his diary then he'd just put something in there but what you know he he failed to see in his own words were you don't write in you know, go for a walk with the kids, you know, have a past and, you know, like, so he, you know, there were, there were times that he sort of snapped out of that and, and really um, pulled back and spent such beautiful quality time. They went on some great holidays in those final years and, um, yeah. And, and ironically he, um, by the time he finally bought himself, you know, cause he, <laughs> He was a fair tight ass. He was Irish, so he came out here. <laughs> I think he still had the same two two bob in his pocket that he that he that he arrived with. Yep. He, d- he just didn't spend much. He just kept investing it into property and stuff. He finally started to spend something, and he bought a, a Porsche Cayenne. And literally a month later, he he had a tumor near his eye and lost his you know part of his sight, and he couldn't drive it. So it was just like like here we collect all this money. If you don't enjoy it, if you don't spend it on yourself. Right, he, he just then he had this beautiful car just sitting in the in the driveway, like it's just it's just a great reminder that mm. like do not yeah it's great to um, save it and and put it away for a rainy day and build up to something, but you really got to enjoy life as you go, otherwise you miss out on those special things. And he definitely deserved to fang around in a KM <laughs> because he had made enormous sacrifices. Yes. While we're on life lessons, and there's, there'd be a lot from Jim, no doubt. Jules, you, you, you're seen, I think, from the outside looking in. You're just, you've got such an incredible, um, I don't know, determination, just attitude to life. And, and every time you see Jules Lund, he's got a smile on his face. He's up and about, and that's um, so. It's a, it's a real credit to you. What, what are some of the life lessons that you that you live by? Um, whether they be from Jim or someone else or other mentors that you've had throughout your life. But what are the things that you go to? What if, if, if the, the Jules Lund book of you know of, of being up and about? Um, I mean, there's, there's, there's contradictions within it, you know, and, and, and if I was to be truly honest, there's, this confusion because they, they fight each other. So, um, I say, you know, I don't want to look back on my life with regret. And so, um, I want to, um, create something great and I want to make the sacrifices to build something um, and to push myself and to make the most of my life, to express my passions, to express my gifts, to live out my potential. So there's all that drive, right, which is like, you know, Jim died, other people die, life is short, go and have a f***ing crack. Yeah. Then in doing that, it takes you away from what is truly important, right? And so... That's where my conflict is because, um, you know, you know, if I'm sitting there in front of my kids on a Sunday and I'm going, I'm going into the office now, 
Um, and if they would actually ask me, why are you going to the office? I'd say, well, I'm going in the office to, um, you know, work on this company because we can't afford um, not to give it our all. We have this huge opportunity. All right, what happens then if the company's a success? Well, after a few years and that leads to the ability to be able to maybe sell it to earn a bit of money. Okay, what are you going to do with the money? Well, with all of this money, I'm going to buy freedom, right? What does freedom look like? Well, freedom looks like just being able to enjoy Saturday with my kids and just going for a walk around the park. And my kids are going, you can do, do that, that now. now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Why go yeah, yeah. the long way around? <laughs> and so it's almost like go to the trophy store, buy the trophy, yeah. and you know, say Jules Lund, great golfer, and rather than pick up the clubs exactly. and go and spend four yeah. hours, and you know. So, mm. the, so if you would ask me, like, what are my what are my life lessons, or, or what what is my what is the message I most try to convey to people is. Um, like I know how to achieve things. I know how to discipline myself. I know how to apply myself. I'm not frightened by not knowing stuff, right? So, you know, I change every five years. I change to a completely different industry if if I'm excited by a new opportunity. I just start again. I have no idea and I just move into it and lean into the darkness. But um, it's probably, you know, to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Like I live in a constant state of um, – uh, uncertainty and tension because I like to just push and that's Jim's fault because Jim, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's not really, I think that's why we connected. You know, he saw me as a 15 year old, always just unsatisfied, you know, mm. that hunger and he, and, and that's where we really connected. But, um, you know, we, he just, you know, you got your comfort zone where you can just relax and he just always said, oh, it's out of this. It's all the good stuff's on the other side of that line. Like just stretch and and reach and scare yourself. And because and he just did that in such unbelievably big ways. Like, you know, like people tell me stories like, you know, after he won the Brownlow. So not only was he Brownlow medalist against all odds because, you know, he came out here at 18 as an Irish kid not even knowing the sport – but becoming a Brownlow medalist, but also, you know, 244 consecutive games. So he played 12 years without missing a game through mm. busted back and fingers and, and, and ruck, right? So it's pretty amazing. But after he won the Brownlow, people told me that they saw him down Beach Road just running at 6 a.m., just flogging himself, right? Incredible. Still mm. training. And so, and he used to go over to this spot, I can't remember what it's called, but over in Dublin, but I think they've spread some of his ashes there. Every Christmas, he'd go to his mum and say, Mum, you've got to pick me up, right, at exactly 11.45 a.m. Because if you don't, I will die, right? And he would start running up this mountain that was just ice and sleet and nothing but wind. And he would just mar- he would just be slogging up this thing to get to the top and hope that his mum was there to collect mm. him. And he would just, like, kill himself. Like that having that type of spirit and and as a mentor you can't help but always go i wonder if i could how hard i could push that i wonder if i could push that envelope i wonder if i could tackle that big you know audacious goal and that's what we say isn't it we don't necessarily push ourselves hard enough in the gears we know to find the gears we don't even know we've got because we we don't actually put ourselves out there but it looks like he was looking for it so what's the point of it all so you know like and i ask you guys you speak to you know you speak to people that live large, yeah. that that have, and when is enough enough, and is it all ego? Mm. I mean, I know there's spirit in there, mm. like you express, you know, and I think there is something really worthy in going. Now you've been given some gifts, so how to figure it out? Let's see how much you can push it. How do you have that balance? How do you be big and present mm. at the same time? So you're future focused, right? Because mm. that seems to be what it requires because if you're not competitive and giving you all someone else is like it's hard enough yeah but yet how how do you stay in the present i i find those are the people that i admire those Mm. people that can deal with the stress do the big things without it eating away at them yeah we've often talked about it because you know for us it's always about interviewing people and finding out what they do because in amongst the mix there's no right or wrong not one size fits all but clearly what we've found over the journey thus far of a year of doing podcasting of more than a quarter of a century of knowing each other is that when you're around really good people there's three things that seem to unite the number one 
They've got a very clear vision of what they're trying to achieve. Number two, they're in a mad screaming hurry to get there. Number three, they understand it's not their life, it just funds their lifestyle. So they went, and it's always internal civil war for them. They don't know, you yeah. know there's times when dad's got to go hard, but, but dad will make that up to you for three weeks in the year when we're not going to be near a phone, we're going to have no Wi-Fi reception and yeah. we're going to be reintroduced to. So quality time used to come from quantity time. Now it appears for high achievers that quality time comes from quality experiences with their kids and it's all about how you set it up and what yeah. you value is what we're finding isn't it yeah, very much so there's a lot of information out there in in the world and i think um if you're very clear as rick said on on vision but also you've got your values aligned as well but, but you just said the magical thing before jules is, is you've got to be comfortable being uncomfortable and so many of us are uncomfortable and we quickly retreat back into comfort without actually pushing forward and that that freedom may have just been there mm but you've come back because you've just stepped a little bit too far out of that sort of comfort zone. So the common theme, one of the common themes I see and what, what Rick and I just enjoy so much about this is just the, the, the certainty and direction. And you, you, just said, you just said you change industry. So it's like, you know what, I need to test myself. I mean, this is you get one life and just go hard and, and, and go and do it. And what's the, what's the human body really capable of? Mm. And what's the human mind really capable of? As well, so, um, but at the same time, then you've got to balance that with um, with family life and children and and the day to day sort of um, challenges that sort of go on as well. They're the they're obviously you know big things, and that's when it comes down to that's why I asked the question initially before of of attitude because um, how do you look at things and mm. and see it in a, a you know, it's a fairly relatively grey day out there, but does it really matter? Does it affect you know our mm. internal world? What the external world is actually doing there? Mm. Do, uh, we probably let that affect our internal world a bit too much. Actually, that's what happened at this function. I was just coming from, Pete, where the guy goes, it's cold today. I think it's a lot colder six feet under. Like, I'm, <laughs> yeah. And in summer, it's because it's bloody hot. It'd be a lot hotter being in an urn, I would have thought. Having, yeah, yeah. You know, like, the reality is, you know, get the death notices of any local paper in any major city in the world, go straight to the death notices, and you'd notice two things. Number one, everyone seems to die in alphabetical order. Boom, boom. <laughs> Thank you, I'm here all week. <laughs> a tribe. Uh, number two... Everyone there would gladly change places with us to have one more crack at something and, mm. and to have one more challenge or something. And I think if you know the price you're prepared to pay, at some stage there's a price I won't pay beyond my wife and my kids, but there's another price I'm going to pay at my own expense to throw myself out there, to fall flat on my face, to look like a goose. I don't really have too much of a concern about that because, like you, Jules, I think if someone said to me, we're about to take all this away from you today and give you this over here, I'm going to go, all right, bring it on. Like, I'll just mm. take it on. Now, I don't know if I'm going to win or lose, but I'm going to have a go. Mm. <laughs> and it sounds to me like Jim noticed that in you as a 15-year-old kid at school, thinking, let's actually use that energy and focus for good as opposed to disruption, which mm. is what he was doing, and see if we can put him on a path which not only will he grow and improve, but he'll grow and improve a lot of people with him. And that's really tribe in many respects to a, to a degree. So thanks for sharing those stories about Jim Steins, who is, for, we're very AFL-centric. Our program goes right across Australia and New Zealand and uh, even the into world. the US now. Okay, we're global. <laughs> uh, not quite as big as tribe, but we're global. Um, there'll be people who don't understand, not only did he, as you say, arrive as an 18-year-old kid from Northern Ireland playing Gaelic football, which is not really the same as Australian rules football, he was a judge of the very best player in the competition, our best stadium in the country, if not one of the global um, you know, best stadiums in the world, has a room named after him, the Jim Stein's room. I always think about that. Could you imagine him growing up as a teenage boy or a young boy in Ireland and thinking mm. someday this is what I'll be renowned for? Well, if you turn around, that guy standing up at that computer, Sam, is one of our senior engineers, and he, um, I said, what are you doing this weekend? He said, it's my, my boy Sam's... Um, birthday, no, Will's birthday, um, unless he's got his son, Sam. And, um, uh, yeah, I said, what did he want for his birthday? He said to go to the footy of the Jim Stein's Grill, you know. Yeah. And <laughs> how, I mean, uh, Jim would absolutely love, absolutely love hearing that. But you know what I think, you know, you talk about that that sense of satisfaction and, and paying it forward. Um I, I certainly have. I mean, I, I do in certain ways, but um, you know, when I think about the 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 the, um, the purpose within what I'm trying to do right now, it isn't very community focused. Tribe is, you know, it's a it's about unlocking the world's creativity. Like I think everyday people and the pics and clips in their phones can be of value to a brand if only they could have access and purchase them, right? Yeah. But um, 
you know, we're, they're really just selling fruit juice and toothpaste. And, you know, like <laughs> I'm not changing. I mean, I would change the. I hope to change the face of advertising with something as disruptive as this. But what I what I what really makes me feel good these days are there's those small moments when I actually just give back, right? And I've been doing bits and pieces, just flirting with it. You know, mentoring younger guys, and it is the quickest way to feel a sense of pride and happiness. It is. It is. I, it is amazing how hard it is in business to get that feeling, what you have to do for that feeling, and then you could just turn and actually help someone out and invest in them for an hour and you walk away and you feel so good. It is so easy, that transaction. So for me, like, and I felt that for Reach for so long, um, you know, I very much look forward to the rest of my life in taking all the things that I've learned, the entrepreneurial spirit and, and the, the courage and and that mindset and actually just doing good. Mm. You know, like I reckon the whole second half of my life will just be like – because money and all of those things aren't really – even now when I'm trying to build a company for some money that will lead to freedom to be able to do, you know, those – um, those passion projects and 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 something more community focused, but yeah, you just don't get a lot of feeling. I just don't, I don't get a lot of feeling. Either did Jim. That was no. the point. He buys yeah. the Porsche and goes. You know that wasn't ever a driver for him anyway. With the money, he loved the game and he loved being the best he could be. But if someone said, "Can you show me a shortcut here and you can give it to them?" The benefit of your wisdom and yeah. you go, "I've just helped that cat," and that cat's really thrilled with that, and you yeah. just go, "How cool is that?" Like, yeah, I'm yeah. loving that at the moment. So one of the kids who was in here uh, not long ago, I took him up to a conference, which was Will Connolly. So Egg Boy, right? Oh, so yeah. this is Will who he hit Fraser running over the head mm. with an egg, and I was <laughs> unconvinced. You know, there was someone that put us in touch because he'd been getting a lot of reach out for um, sponsored posts on his Instagram because all of a sudden it just and it was worth something um and you know people were offering five grand to do a post and so i brought him in i just wrote i said write down all of the list of the um the opportunities uh that you've been uh offered and i looked at them and then i said so what do you want to do and he goes i want to be a counselor and i just ripped up the page and i just said right let's just invest in that and Mm -hmm. so 17 years of age i took him up to a conference called space um, which was up in um, Byron Bay with, you know, 300 just great innovators and, and fresh thinkers um, from all walks of life. Magda Sabansky was there and then there was incredible teachers and psychologists and Paul Ruse and his, his wife Tammy and, and, you know, it was just people that were on the, the shortlist to go to Mars one way, <laughs> right, incredible mm. stories and he went up there and absorbed it and he was like the mascot. They absolutely loved him. And, you know, I celebrated him on stage to break down his – not what he did and whether that was right or wrong. And I, yeah. I think we don't want to create an environment where you're allowed to just attack your politicians. But what he was actually – what he could do with that that platform, you know, what was the positive – um, impact that he could have from there. But I've watched him just with a tiny bit of guidance based on what we're talking about, mm. good group of people, safe space for him to go and yep. talk, which he doesn't even feel like sometimes amongst his school group he can do that. And then just having all these amazing sort of mentors and that access, how how transformative that has been for someone of that age, mm. that feels amazing. Mm. Like watching that and put, sort of doing the exact same thing Jim did to me. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. same type of kid, like literally exactly like me and um, and to see what you can do if you light that fire under them. And right. so you've taken the lessons from Reach, brought it into Tribe, done it you know, right across what you're trying to do across all levels of your entrepreneurship. And I think it's fairly evident when you see it here, Pete, that uh, you know, Jules just lights up when he can talk about a story of giving back. Yeah, so let's, let's, let's delve in, into Tribe. It, it's, it's phenomenal what you've been able to create in a short amount of time. So you took social influences, you took brands, you, you managed to put them all together. Talk to us, how, how did it all start? Where, where, was, where was Jules Lund's mind at in terms of what could be created here? What's possible? Well, I've always been a storyteller, so I've, I loved um, – I did graphic design and photography in school and then when I sort of started to do the reach stuff, I realised um, uh, 
that you could tell stories and, you know, I, I used to, I ran workshops out in secondary schools, like a life coach for 10 years. I was 18 doing it for 18 year olds. But then I realized I got no life experience. Like I'm 18. <laughs> so I went overseas, backpacked for eight months. And, uh, and instead of doing the theme parks, I, um, I did the talk show circuit. So I went to Sally, Jesse, Raphael, and Ricky Lake, and Jerry Springer, and Roseanne Barr show, and all these things, and just I w- I'd get on TV, right? I'd get in the audience, I'd propose to someone, or I'd yell out, get in an argument with a male prostitute, or you know, I'd, all this ridiculous stuff, right? As you know, just as this kid, just Aussie kid with my best mate, just running amok. But I watched those guys and I went, wow, they're like Jerry Springer. I was watching him just going, and I knew how much he was on. I was like, you just you're just literally having a blast doing this. So I came back and I thought I wouldn't mind having a crack at um, TV. And so I, I got a kid's pilot with Eddie McGuire um, and uh, and then I won a radio competition, right? And I was just telling that story. I rang up one day. They were saying, what's your claim to fame? And I told the story of the Jerry Springer and all this stuff. And they rang me back and said, you should um, you should apply for this competition. So I, I won this radio comp. Um, from there that led to an opportunity to a radio show. And so I, I wanted to do Reach on air. Um, and so all of the stuff that I was doing in secondary schools, I thought, can I do it on commercial radio? Now, the reality is you can't because um, the the conversations are far too in-depth. And back then, it, there were like three-minute chats. It was a podcast. So I'd called it Dash, which was the two dates in your tombstone and not nearly as important as the dash in between. Yeah. Make the most of it. Mm-hmm. What I did was I'd invite in successful people to talk about their Dash, like not what they've achieved but how, and I'd break it down. So it's sort of like a podcast, you know, 20 years too early because there was nowhere to put it yep. except mm-hmm. on – 10.30 p.m. one night and no one was listening and then you'd go, here's pink, you know. It just was annoying to have a good conversation. So, you know, Crawf, Shane Crawford who just won the, and Woe Woden and all these guys had won Brownlows at the time and Jesse Martin who just sat around the world and pop stars and um, people that created crumpler bags, entrepreneurs, and I just loved it. It was just, you know, pulling it apart and learning from them. What are the challenges? What are the support? Everything that we're talking about today. From there, I realized I wanted to get into TV. There was an opportunity. So I went, get away. I'm going to go for the best job I can. And then I put that in my journal. And then I spent 12 months and did everything in my power to become the best host I can be. So I did every course in in the country for TV presenting, ran out of those, did acting courses, did voiceover courses. Um, I read books on Oprah, biographies. I did memory learning competition courses. I got a, I then hired a proper camera crew, saved 10 grand working at a surf shop, invested in a camera crew, graphic designer, um, photographer, and just made this VHS tape that took me, cost me 10 grand in about 10 months. And I produced 250 of these VHSs ready. I'd taped every credits of every show in the country pretty much and wrote down a database of all the EPs and all that. So I had a hit list exactly who I had to get into. And then I just got a call out of the blue to say, hey, um, uh, you know, have you got any footage? There was this guy that I knew, you know, Channel 9 are looking for a host. You got any footage? And I said, oh, I think I've got something around here lying. You know, like <laughs> I'd just given birth to this thing. So I sent it and just – I gave him three copies, I said, for the guys at nine. And within a month I had getaway. <laughs> like I – I'd even before the 12-month sort of period, which was just absolute – so much luck, so much work, but so much luck, as they say, preparation meets opportunity. So I did that TV for a while. Then after I moved out of TV and, and I moved into radio because Hamish and Andy were leaving um, their afternoon shift and they kept ringing me saying, do you want to do radio? And I said, I'm not following up on those guys. They've done pretty good. Yeah. I'll be a lamb <laughs> slaughter. But then I went, fuck it. Right, let's just grow some balls, have a crack and Lean be comfortable with being yeah. uncomfortable. Yeah. So did that for a few years. But all my ideas were visual. Right in radio, like I really struggled this time around because I just saw it visually. Every every idea. Imagine we did that, and they were like, "I can't see it." Yeah, so yeah. they said, "Go and invest out in the social media platforms that no one really cared about six years ago in in radio." And so I did. And so as we were recording the audio, I'd take photos. I'd bring a camera crew in. We would do all this crazy stuff. Like you'd take a weird photo and say, "Caption this," and then you'd post that on on Facebook. And you'd get like six and a half thousand comments, like captioning it. And I was like, what is this thing? Mm. 
And so I got really fascinated and we managed to do that and build the most engaged Facebook brand page for the radio show Fifi and Jules and it had as big an online brand as it did on air. Mm. Because of that, um, a lot of brands and media agencies were saying, how did we build this asset that sat on the top of the leaderboard in the trade press, you know, most engaged Facebook brand page ahead of like politicians or KFC or Cricket Australia. And they said, Jules, so I started to consult on how to engage these social tribes. Then influencer marketing started to garner a bit of attention. And they knew that I'd, I could create content online. And so I was inundated with sponsored post requests. So, And I made a couple hundred grand in like 18 months because it was like no one was really doing it. And I didn't even have that big an audience. So I was mm. like – but it was exhausting workflow. So Nike would say jump midair, slow-mo, um, and post on Instagram. They'd go to the media agency, sales team, go to my talent agent. And it would just and they'd say, put this URL in your Instagram post. And I'd say, you can't put URLs in an Instagram caption. Go all the way back down. So I just went, I'm going to create a workflow solution. Like what is an app that I can see their brief, you guys all get out of the way. If you want to manage it, no worries. But I know what you guys want. I can hear it. But by the time it comes down, these all these whispers, i got no idea what they have in their mind. So just mm. get out of the way and you still take your cut. But I just want to – and so I just created an app and then um, – and that's Tribe basically. But I just – at that time, the Facebook brand page had gone through the floor. So the engagement had changed. I realised I was – you didn't control this audience. Like you build this community on Zuckerberg's land and he just changed the locks, right? Yeah. And everyone realized, shit, I've just, I've just been investing in all this and now I've got to pay to speak to my own audience. So since I was building a marketplace for influencers, it was great timing because I went, hang on, those influencers don't own their audience. So don't build it on the reach you get from influencers, build it on their content. Mm. And so I flipped the model, right? And it still stands as the only model of its kind in on the globe, which is where the content, the brand will post a brief saying, hey, um, Vegemite, we want to see um, young mums, you know, spreading in the kitchen um, for their kids. Um, and mums would go out there and buy Vegemite if they don't already have it, create the content to your direction and then submit it with a price attached. So the brand has only put a brief in. Now they've got 300 pieces of content and they pick the ones they love and, um, and it's all done in front of them. And so what happened was after a while Vegemite would say or a brand would say, that content looks good, I want to use it in my advertising. And so after a while they said, hey, I just want some content again. I don't care if the influencer posts it. So we had sort of inadvertently created this stock image library, but on demand, it's branded. Hmm. So it has Vegemite, not just a spread on toast. Hmm. And it's shot by your own customers. And um, yeah, it's, 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 it's instant. And so that has become Tribe now, which I'm excited about. The vision that almost all the picks and clips that we use in our advertising, whether that's social ads or banners on a website or even digital out-of-home bus shelters can be generated by the very consumers it's designed to engage. Bloody genius. Absolute, absolute genius. It's just – it's getting me um, – it's getting me goosebumps. Just uh, your, brain, just, your brain's ticking over just, here. You're thinking about what can yeah, happen Yeah, I just Look, uh, Yeah, this will be a good time to just uh, weave this in, Jules. We've been hit up for uh, you know, the power of this podcast yeah. in terms of what we could do Let's with it. Let's monetize it. Influence it. <laughs> yeah, no, a, a certain lady that we both know, the beautiful Vivian Ryan, who uh, for our subscribers will remember Viv uh, from episode 31 uh, where she was talking about the power of marketing and how we've got to be better marketers, what we do than doers of it. Um, if you're listening to anything that you're hearing from Jules here, it's about look at the model. And the old saying is if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I think Jules's mantra is if it ain't broke, it's probably obsolete. Let's look mm. at how we can bust it apart and repackage it again so that it's got some currency for today. For those listeners out there, Jules, who believe their whole life, their whole identity is linked to building a business and they can't get in their head, how could you build that and then sell it off? What, mm. what would you say to them? What do you mean sell it off as in – Yeah, so then you sell it off to someone else and then you go off and whether that be – Do you mean tribe, like how anything, do I build anything. tribe and then sell yeah. the company? Yeah. Or do you mean selling social that. posts? No, no, how you would sell your company that you've given so much of your time, energy and resource to. Um, like some people can't let go of that. I think it's the expression once you've expressed it. Yeah. I don't think it's what you get. It's who you become. You walk away with having evolved your – your education. So it's – I don't – like at the end of this, I want to walk away with cash, right? But I've built the thing, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Like if it's a big Lego house yeah. and I've built it, 
it's the expression of building. It's not having the Lego house. I get it. So you've, your identity is not linked to tribe or anything you build ultimately. It's actually it's the journey of the creativity of it. And now that we've yeah. ticked that box, let's go find another box. A- to and tick. I move on real quick. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> we got the sense of like that. I, like I did getaway for nine years and I just – Turn and I, I probably very unless I'm reminded. I, I don't. I really think you know. Same as Reach, you know, to a point. Like I was, I just absolutely gorged on Reach for 15 years. Like I, I cannot tell you how much of my time and energy. And then when Jim passed, I was like, it was just a, a little bit confronting for a little while. And I'll go back, and I've still got Reach in my own yep. life because all my best friends are from Reach, so we still express the same philosophies, etc. But I and, and this will be the same when, when it's time. Um, and I've built it and I've done everything I can there and I've, and I've exhausted myself through it, um, yeah, I just move on to the next thing. And so how many of your team do you think would be with you because of the vision of Tribe or because of you as the front man, if you will, the, the, the builder of it? Um, I guess what I'm trying to say, if I'm listening to this as someone who's trying to build something, if I went out there and spruced it to my team that, look, you know, this isn't my life, it just funds my lifestyle and I'm going to create something else shortly, you know, they would fear, Jules, that they would run the risk of losing that investment from their team knowing that they I won't- tell them that. Yeah. Like honestly, there's a girl over there, Olivia, to last well, uh, last day today, and she's been here for three years. We're here for cake. Get her in. Get her in. <laughs> <laughs> um, she's um, yeah. So she's been here for three years. She came in as an intern. She's now worked her way up. She's now in marketing automation. She's learned all of these programs, and now she's moving on to a bank, and um, and she she leaves here with such an incredible amount of experience, personal growth, but also a CV that just just elevated her up and increased her value. And I reckon in this day and age, everyone complains about millennials, you know, every two years they want to do something. I reckon every two years you should f*** off. Try something else. (laughs) In your 20s, go, try everything. Every two years, change. Don't even let yourself go past. Even if it's the best thing, Mm. move and try something different Mm. and then get to 30 and then go, which one did I like? I reckon reckon you should be moving. And to be honest, if – there, there are companies that literally hire people to say, you're here for two years. Yeah, You're yeah. not here for life. You're going to come here and that's the date you're going to leave, right? And give you're just your going to give it your all. <laughs> that's right. yeah. And it's yeah. a, just a flip on the model. It's really but, clear expectation. But I love mm. it and we're really transparent with this team. Mm. They, you know, like, oh, they're not worried about me leaving. God, they want me out of the way. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a bloody bigger <laughs> business than me. Yeah. Jules, with um, with Tribe, I, I, one of my favourite sayings is sim, um, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. You really did simplify a really complicated business. You yeah. know, how many businesses do you see out there that you think are just sort of overcomplicated, uh, overcomplicated I should say, and trying, to, and trying to just simplify them? Is that, is that something that sort of yeah. you get fascinated with? Yeah, I do actually. I do. I particularly get it, even though our model is simplified, we've simplified a process, it's so complicated still. Yeah. Like I want to, I'm on a mission to simplify it so it's blindingly stupid. Mm. Like literally you go to a web page and there's three squares with three pluses in it and you just drag a photo in there and you, and you drag three photos in there and then it gives you a whole list of others that are similar. You drag those so you're actually accurate, three photos just goes to creators and it just says content like this but celebrating our product and that person comes back in four days and there's 200 pieces of content there. Like that from everyday people that are just taking photos on their phone. Like Mm. that, that's how it should be. It should just be that simple. And those market forces exist. There is a demand for those. There is a visual language that doesn't need to be overcomplicated by text there is someone who understands that visual language, which is just everyday consumers, and they all have the technology. So it's literally supply and demand, and these three tectonic plates are converging to create what I believe is just a multi-billion dollar category, much bigger than influencer marketing, mm. which is you've got brands that have never needed content more in their lives. They've gone from a TV ad or a print ad, like one asset to many, mm. to personalization, digital advertising, which is where you need many assets to many. So we've solved the distribution of ads and no one has a bloody idea how we create them. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. you can't go to a creative agency and say, I want 100 pieces of content. You just pay through the roof. Mm. So um, so you've got that side and then you've got you, you've got a, everyday people that 1.2 billion have just graduated the University of Instagram. Like they just know how to craft 
magazine quality billboard size. They take a trillion photos a year on their iPhones and all that content in everyone's iPhone right now is already wearing the watch, holding the pen, you know, wearing the sunglasses, the Ray-Bans, drinking their favourite wine, like going to the sporting event, flying on Jetstar. All of our photos just naturally feature the products we use and love. And that's what I mean. Then you've got the third tectonic plate is just technology, the enabler. So you've got both sides, and as they and that enabler, that technology just keeps getting better and better. Yep. So these this supply has the tech, and now they have the talent. This thing, these there's just no way that that demand is not going to be serviced by that natural supply. So it's going to happen. I just hope we're around to be able to own it. Mm. You know, to build the, and the that's framework. The key. How do you that 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 is the how key. do you stick around? Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. Because you know that. That what I explained to you in, in four years' time will be like, yeah, duh. Yeah, Whereas right. I've been saying it for four years and when I started saying it, people just couldn't that's, get their head around it. No. At least now they're under they can they can conceptualize it. By the time the world is wanting to do it, um, we have to have built the technology by then, knowing that we have to find investors that go, you know what? You're probably not gonna do that well for a couple of years doing all this sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But then once the the swell lifts. You just want your surfboard in the right spot. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's where the saying "red is the new black." We need to be able to yeah. continually support that till it gets to the point it's where it is the, yeah. and it's frightening for them. You know, because most of the people with money don't necessarily have big imaginations. Like no. if I was honest. But, they want you know, a sure bet, don't they? Yeah, yeah and the, and the, it's always risk and. There's a lot of things that can go wrong. So yeah, you don't want to be the sort of tech version of Bitcoin. It's like yeah. we want you to be gold yeah. that we can take to the bank. What do you think with all the platforms going video? They say literally in the next most recent. Uh, I think the most recent estimate is like eighteen months to two years. All of the platforms will be lit from LinkedIn to mm. you know, Facebook, which is already there, but very much video content only. Well, I'm not convinced. Uh, I mean, it, absolutely, video will increase, but I love photos. Yeah, yeah. Like, I just love still things. I think it's easier to see. Yeah. A, a video of someone just talking into the camera, like you see on LinkedIn, is not nearly as good as a, fo- a really good photo, I reckon. Yep. And so, Instagram, absolutely, there's ephemeral stuff, which is the explosion of stories um, in Snap, Facebook, and Instagram. Um, uh, but, y- you know, don't be surprised if um, static images always convert as an ad like you can have a bit of motion in there but i yeah i I think it will be a majority of video and it probably already is Mm. like you know there's 500 million everyday active users in stories just on instagram Instagram. yeah so that's that's pretty compelling. So do you see still photos as being a bit like now a vinyl record or a little bit like a no. book to Kindle? No? no? No, it'll always. There'll always be. I mean, look at all the still photos that they put in stories. Yeah. People, it is, there's something about crystallising a moment in time. Yep. Right? And you can watch the video, but there's something about freezing it. I, I don't know. I just, I love photography. I would, I love video. Mm. But I love a good photo. Yeah, I think photo, the other thing, you've looked at it, you've got the story and you're kind of there, where a video, you might have to wait three minutes to find the final end of the video. And, and I love a for. photo is the story. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, It's yeah. just right there and yeah. I can see that story in a second. problem with video is it takes an investment of time yeah. to get that same story. And, and everyone's time poor. Do you reckon so. there's an element, there is an element of, you know, when you read a book and then you see the movie, geez, that wasn't what I thought. Yeah, it's a bit yeah. like when you, when you look at a still photo, you sort of – People actually like to create their own story around it, yeah. to some extent, and yep. I think, um, you know, that, well, that's I think where it's I right. Think they, you feel in the, especially in those shows where people are going back through their genealogy and they're showing a photo of their great great grandfather, and you look and you go, I can just see in his eyes, I can just imagine what he's feeling there, and I can. They start there filling in the gap, yeah. and I, I, now I know why. Now I know why I've got this creative bent. I came from a family of professors, but yet now I'm like him because I can see mm. it in his eyes. Mm. That's the sort of value I think you're talking about in the static photo. Well, which we, we love. will. You know, when you think about what – so right now we – so I would have more – because I've always been in digital photography right at the start. uh, I would have more photos and videos than I have life left to view them all. Like I would have tens of thousands and I'm never going to go through it. Like I will die before I go back into those archives. And I still just take – I'm always capturing content on my phone – 
very rarely post it. I don't even know what I'm doing it for. I just feel like I'm capturing it yeah. and crystallizing it. Now, I don't know if you've seen the, the computer-generated content. There was one of Mark Zuckerberg the other day where they just take all the photos and his voice and, and basically they just had him talking to camera just basically saying, I'm going to control the world and, you know, <laughs> like put any words in his mouth. And it, you, if you watch it, it's just literally Zuckerberg looking at a camera. It's exactly him, his expressions, his manner, and they've just captured that by putting in so much different content, right? Now, you can imagine there the technology, if they're already doing that now in 2019, the technology that our kids' kids will have with us. So all of that data and that video footage and all my archives will sit there. They will have never met me or their kids Hmm. would never have met me. And now they can go in and literally have conversations, right, conversations with their great-great-great-grandfather. There was more data and they could say, I want to talk to him when he was my age yep. at, at 18. What was he feeling? What and was then he at thinking? 18. Yeah. I want to talk to him at 38. Who is my grandfather at 38? And it will have me on stage. It will have me doing a talk to the team here. And and you just be able to piece that stuff together. I mean they're already doing um, holograms. Yeah. You know, the, the hologram technology is already existing where Gary V, who's you know a great entrepreneur and a, and a marketer, um, and a, a e-commerce wizard, um, you know, these guys do talks now via hologram and so he'll come out on stage and say, hey, guys, and there he is in LA and it will be beamed across, you know, the globe in Japan and he's talking. Mm. So you mm. can – and they did that with Tupac in, in which case you don't even need to be alive. <laughs> yeah, that's right. like it's, it's a very – if you've got enough data, which we already do in our phones mm. – Anyway, I don't know why I'm telling you all. No, this. no, but I think it's <laughs> but I think it really gets back to that sort of scenario where it's all heading and what does it all mean? And it's still going to always be whether it's still photography, video, or whatever. It still has to be attached to some emotive story that people it compels you to want to either click on it or to review it a little bit further. I think is what I'm hearing. Mm. We've um, we've taken up you know yes, plenty of your time, George. You've been incredibly generous with your time. But just um, just before we go, what's what are, what are you most looking forward to in the future? What's the next, and I, when I say future, um, for reference, I don't, I don't sort of push out five to ten years. I'd sort of talk two to three years. Let's. Mm. What are you actually seeing in that? That you can almost touch it, but you can't quite. What's uh, What's Jules Lund say? Well, I want to prove out that hypothesis that um, brands are willing to buy everyday pics and clips from anyone, right? So I want to prove out that um, the liquidity of that concept, and I want to. And I reckon we're not far off from that. Uh, I want to see that. Um, and I'll give you an example. Sitting over there is our CTO, Chief Technology Officer. You know, he we've got these content campaigns where, as I say, the, the brand doesn't even need the, the influencer to post it, in which case why do they need to be an influencer? They don't. So he invited his brother-in-law, takes pics. Uh, he's a baker, his brother-in-law, and he made $825 on a Saturday afternoon. <laughs> so the brand is happy. He's happy. We're happy because we get a good margin on that, and and you know that the, I reckon the consumer is as well because rather than that brand using this social advertising, this just awkward hammy crap, talking to them like an idiot, it's actually real people in the ads, which converts better because you know people are in social media because they want to socialise. So rather than seeing some model, they're seeing real people, which they lean into just a slight bit more sort of yeah. perform. So I'm excited by all of those. Um, elements coming together to something, and I just want to see it work. And um, and then in the short term, what I'm excited about is I'm doing the New York Marathon. So that, oh, wow. I'm training at the moment. November and, this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm training at the moment. So that for my mental health is just unparalleled. Is that something you've had as a uh, as a goal for a long time, or is it more? Yeah, recent? me and my best mate, who was the first other kid who came into that course as a 15 year old, um, that that first course at Reach Rands. Um, Paul and Jim had gone out to CBC after De La Salle that day and this kid came in, uh, Sammy Cav, and, um, yeah, when I had the opportunity to do a radio show on Reach and he was involved in Reach, he was studying criminology and I brought him in and we created Dash together and then he moved on to become one of the most powerful people in radio. So he he spent, oh, God, it would have been f- at least 14 years um, with Hamish and Andy mm. um, developing that show. And, um, yeah, so he's, he's incredible. So him and I, he's my mentor. Since Jim passed, 
Sam, even though he's my same age, is just the smartest, most enlightened human I've ever met. And uh, so if I get to run with him, you know, through the week, it's an incredible investment. And my wife and I are going over with him and we're going to have an awesome week. That's brilliant. And so you just celebrated 10 years of marriage and uh, a significant milestone birthday, which we won't go into so people can do their own math. But clearly uh, she's an important part of this journey as well. And the fact that you can share these experiences is really not only does it fit in with the tribe model, but it fits in with who you are as a person as well, which I think is important. So when I went overseas, so I was doing those, when I went over and I was backpacked, yeah, I met her in Barcelona. (laughs) And uh, so that was 20 years ago. So she's the first girlfriend I've ever had. Only girlfriend I've ever had, and then and then married her, um, but she's been through it all yeah. and long suffering because <laughs> she's, you know, like you guys know. I think I'm getting better at it, but when you're ambitious, you're a pain in the ass. Yeah. How and would you, your kids describe you? Fun, luckily, because you know, um, and I, I sort of I, I wrestle with what you're saying. Two earlier. girls, yeah, two girls, nine yeah. and six. No yeah. fun because when I'm with them, you can't like. Things can go wrong or whatever. It should just be fun. Like yeah. it's, I, I realise how precious time is for them and it moves quick mm. and it should be a celebration. Mm. Everything should be a celebration. Um, but you know what we're talking about there about quality time and quantity. Yeah. I'd like to believe there's such a thing as quality time but with parenting it's quantity. Yeah. It's quantity. Um, they, I reckon they'd always choose quantity over quality. I think. Yeah. Um, At their ages too. It's a good distinction, isn't it? Yeah, you can't – I don't think you can – I don't think – I've tried to in the past but I don't think it stacks up to justify it by saying, no, no, even though I'm not there a lot, Mm. when I am it counts. Mm. Well, Dad's home now so if you need a challenge solved, I'll solve it. Yeah. But quick, I'm on the clock. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So there's all – I mean anyone our our age, it's a – life's a challenge. Yeah. from financial pressures to the time you finally got the time to take a big swing. So you take big gambles financially, support yourself, relationships. You're not seeing your friends anymore. Mental health goes down. Your actual physical health can go down. Um, you only need your parents have just turned into from being a support to turning into pains in the asses. They get more eccentric and yeah. take yeah. more time yeah. rather than give it. You know, there's in your, I reckon in your sort of <laughs> 35 to 50 is a, is a, you know, and with young kids, I look at all my friends and, you know, that's why the Wayne Swash thing, yeah. Swash, how do you say it? Swat. Swash. 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 You're right. <laughs> um, you know, that managing mental health is just such a yeah. critical part. And as Sammy Cab said, you know, the quality of life is, is, is all relative to the quality of your mind. Yeah, absolutely. Like it doesn't matter if you've got it all, if you're just struggling internally. So true. Mm. Yeah, it's no point being the richest, or the old saying is there's no point being the richest person in the graveyard and there's no point earning a ton of coin and going home and sharing it with a pet rock because your family goes, I think you love that business more than you love us. So Mm. it is that eternal civil war that we all sort of struggle from time to time. But I'm I'm pretty confident today that Jules has given you, from his perspective anyway, enough gems there and, as you like to call them, Pete, the life hacks to – bring something into your world that's going to make a significant difference. That's why we do this podcast. We want to connect with absolute achievers in all spaces, but also learn not so much you know, what they do, but their organizing principles around how they've done it. I think if I've heard anything in this interview, you're hearing about the power of mentorship, the ability to give back to others, and the ability to paint a picture for someone who can only see a blank canvas and can't even see the framework, let alone, you know, understanding this vision you've got for them. But, you know, Jules had it from, you know, an amazing inspirational mentor, and he's continued it on with his best friend. And it's kind of how I think we'd all like to believe it to be there's no successful hermits Pete. we need other people to help us get to where we want to get to mm. and and clear messaging about ch- uh, always challenging yourself always yeah, I love it. Lo- you know looking looking for something else if you if you're not so go again you know i love that oh you know you're not a tree you're not stuck so you, yeah. you can actually move around you can change things you can you can adapt and um do different things in your life to basically affect a different result so Jules you've been incredibly valuable with your time as as I said it's just so awesome to to be uh, recording here in the um, in tribe headquarters overlooking the magnificent uh, Albert Park, Park like yep. out there we it's, are uh, next episode we're going to be doing it from New York and Jules is funding us over <laughs> there so we're very thrilled to bring this one and, to and you. also next episode we'll, we'll talk about your stint on dancing on the ice oh, oh yeah, yeah. No, how sorry did that not get in there oh, oh, it's a visual no, it's, it's a, a it's a real visual yeah, example visual example yeah, but, uh, spandex. but I think <laughs> the last thing I, I just wanted to say Pete when you hear Jules you hear that quote that's so wonderful which is 
if you make easy, easy decisions, you're going to end up probably with a hard life. But if you make some hard hard decisions early, you're going to end up with an easy life. And mm. so he's making the hard decisions, paying the price now, and obviously understanding there will be a day where that pays back in dividends. And no matter whether it's today, tomorrow, next decade, there's going to be a great, exciting journey along the way. And so, Jules, thank you for sharing some of your exciting journey with our listeners. Thank you for spending so much time with us today because we know no that uh, this is a valuable time it. for you. I've really enjoyed it. And yeah. the good news for everybody listening is if you think, oh, we'll just worry about that one later, uh, I can tell you Jules is not doing podcasting anymore uh, because <laughs> his, uh, his requests far outweigh the 168 hours in the week. He gets asked to do it more regularly than not. So if you've enjoyed this, as always, we ask you to do two things only. Number one, do give us some feedback so we know we are on the right track. Number two, please share it with your tribe to make sure that these types of principles are going to have a bigger flow. Uh, and if you want to learn more about tribe, uh, you know, certainly just Google it. If you want to know more about Reach, and, and the Reach Foundation is something that we are you know, very aware of, Pete and I, and when Pete sort of said there's a chance that we could get Jules Lund and how that could all work, he was pretty excited to bring this message to everybody, Jules. So on behalf of Peter and myself, certainly we're in front of it, we're enjoying it, but uh, for our listeners, we do want to thank you so much for the opportunity to be with you and uh, for you for sharing so givingly, and do, we do have to thank Vivian Wright for that as well, but yeah. thank you for uh, thank you, you know, sharing so much. Awesome. Thanks, guys. We trust you enjoyed listening to Voices of Value, a shared conversation between Rick Rushton and Peter Kakos. Their views are not necessarily those of the wider world, but they should be. If you're keen to enhance the quality of your life even further in the future, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or your preferred podcast source. Our website is voicesofvaluepodcast.com. And we welcome both your feedback and ratings on the content we provide. Join the conversation again next week when Peter and Rick continue the search for truth, justice, and the value-added way.